If I don't count short-term Airbnb rentals, like the month-long stints here in Central America, I've lived in roughly 30 places. I've been issued driver's licenses and received electricity bills in nine U.S. states, and now in a foreign country. I've moved so much in my life that when someone asks me where I'm from, I really don't know how to answer. I usually just say California, because I was born there. But I haven't been there in almost 20 years, besides a one-off academic conference. And honestly, I can't call it home. I can't call anywhere home. As I write this, I've got the pregame show for the Packers-Giants game on the TV. My wife, Krista, will forever be drawling a go pack go, insisting that every meal would be improved by a horrifying amount of cheese, and will always think of Wisconsin as her home. Her whole family is scattered around the state. She has roots, a connection, and when all else fails, a place to return. Again, I've never felt that. Ignoring the cliches like home is where the heart is, I think I've been chasing the dream of home my whole life. Maybe I'm just being wistful, or maybe I'm staring down the barrel of 40 and feeling a midlife crisis coming on. Though, after selling 99% of my possessions and relocating to Costa Rica, I think that ship might have already sailed. And speaking of sailing, is my lack of home and continual search for it the underlying theme of this current story? Did I decide to strand my characters aboard a lost ship in the middle of the ocean because I'm feeling the same way? Listless? Adrift? Maybe. Was the first season of The Ghost Modernist an exploration of my own insecurities in a young marriage and new homeownership? Probably. Here, the lit professor and me, not to mention Roland Bart on my shoulder, are screaming that intention doesn't matter. That the death of the author coincides with the release of the text, or in this modern world, the publishing of a new episode. Once it's out there, it doesn't matter why or what drove me to create that theme. But hey, I guess since these intros are all about auto-psychoanalysis, I'll give myself a pass. And as such, ask, why do I yearn for someplace to call home? Why have I set my characters so far away from theirs? The simple answer would be safety. Home is the metaphorical solid ground that provides refuge. So, if you've never had one to begin with, or find yourself in a situation where returning home is impossible, what do you do? Do you give up and just let the waves overtake you? Or do you keep swimming, keep searching the horizon for dry land? Real quick, before we get into the episode, I've got a pair of shoutouts this week. Thanks so much to Pod Review 13 and Bengala07 for the awesome Apple Podcast reviews. I'm continually awed by yours and everyone's kind words. All of you are keeping this show afloat. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the doctor is in, and the haunt is on. Chapter 20. There was no plan. His whole life, Chadwick Stafford had been on a track of his own making, turning north or south of the guideposts, reaching for the next rung when the time was right. Ranking up in both careers in the Air Force and medicine, 
Chad suffered relatively few, if any, major setbacks. Sure, there were some embarrassing moments in the presence of supervisors, all of which occurred when alcohol had been present, but he had come through, as he liked to say, unscathed. The same was true in his personal life. He'd followed the land of the freeze doctrine, checking off the milestones of marriage and children and retirement at proper, age-appropriate intervals. To the outside observer, he'd achieved the impossible, the white picket fence and the 30-year fixed American dream. And it was all because he had a plan. And the plan always worked, Chad thought, because of his ability to pivot, to slide seamlessly into option B or C. But now, hearing his shoes splashing across the Lido deck of the Baroness, and the footsteps of those pursuing him, Chad could feel the weight of knowing just how out of options he was. He ducked in, around, and behind, weaving through the rain and the many drink kiosks and activity stands the Baroness once offered, getting closer and closer to the bow of the ship. And finally, he was at the peak of the triangle, the elevated knife's edge that was once slicing through the Atlantic. But this was no Jack Dawson moment. He wasn't king of anything. No, he was being hunted like a rabid animal, and now here he was at the end of the line. He flashed on images, memories, a glimpse of walking down a slick alleyway with Teresa, half drunk from local beer when he'd been stationed in Okinawa, a scene from an emergency room wherein a frat boy who'd blown off both of his hands with fireworks, another with a young couple whose intimate piercings had linked them together in an awkward, tugging fashion. Chad thought of blood and palm trees and foreign wars, and of his son and then his grandson, introducing him to video games that glorified those wars. All of them, a collage of life's more ingrained moments, cycling by in mere seconds, as if that was it. The summation of Chadwick Stafford's time on this earth. The impression he would leave. And he was about to descend into a sort of agitated self-loathing, a middle finger to the heavens for such random assortment of memories and a finale aboard a cruise ship, when he became aware of the weight in his arms once more. Chad scanned the railing. Next to the orange life preserver, the Baroness stamped in black lettering, was a long coil of white rope. The man snagged it, shook the top, and cracked it out like a whip, then began to tie the rope over and across the stone statue, like a birthday present. Satisfied that the knots were snug, Chad extended his arm over the railing just as both of his exits were closed off. A pair of random, nameless, blue and gold employees blocked off starboard, while Laszlo, Sophia, and Donnie Fredericks, that damn smile still etched on his face, were moving up the port side. There was one gun among them, and Sophia held it to the back of Lazy's head. Chad thought, that's not exactly the sort of behavior you'd like from a spouse. When the group was ten feet from where Chad stood, Donnie kicked the back of Lazy's legs and the man fell to his knees with a grunt. Sophia's aim stayed true. Careful, Chad said, and bobbed the statue in his hand. This thing is heavier than it looks. I'd hate to drop it. You go right ahead, Donnie said. You really think we need that? Of course you do, or you would have put a bullet in me already. Come to think of it, why haven't you? You could have just rounded us all up and tossed us overboard on day two. You could have gassed us or poisoned the food. Who says we haven't done that? Come on, Chad said. He paused, thinking about his next words. That doesn't make enough of a statement. You enjoy pageantry. You like controlling people. No, this isn't about me. This is all for him. Donnie pointed downward with both hands. 
Bullshit. Him? Your water god? No. You want the power. But you're just a little man with a small mind who found this fucking trophy and convinced a bunch of other small minds to follow your lead. Speaking of, Chad pointed at the advancing employees with his free arm. Tell your dogs to get back. Donnie's smile faltered, but held. He nodded to the two men, and they retreated. The rain had begun to wane, as if giving everyone involved a clearer picture of the scene they were on the verge of acting out. Okay, Donnie said. Now how are we going to navigate this little standoff? I think it's a little late to ask you to drop us off the next exit, so why don't we talk about how we both get out of this situation with what we want? Donnie scoffed. And what do we both want? Well, I want to get us off this boat before you sink it. And you want this little guy back, Chad said, lowering the arm, holding the idol so it rested on the railing. And to sing and dance and perform your silly little ceremonies. I'd watch the blasphemy soldier, Donnie said. He is below us right now. The other employees repeated, he is, he is, he is. My God, you really are a bunch of whack jobs. On his knees, Lazy chuckled. Yes, Ice Man, crazy people. Donnie kicked Lazy once again, square in the back, and the Romanian looked as if he were going to fall forward, but he stayed upright. Kick Lazy one more time, he said. What? Donnie scoffed. Or I tear you apart. Chad watched the men square off, one looming above the other, but somehow, strangely, seeming like he was waging the uphill battle. Donnie lifted his leg, then set it back down. Instead of a third kick, the man said, Enough of this. I'd do it myself, but... Sophia, this is your sacrifice. Shoot him. Everyone's eyes trained on her. Chad's, the blue and gold henchman, lazy himself. You said... Sophia began. If I... He would... I don't care what I said. Shoot him. Now. The woman steeled herself, her arms taut and Chad could see, just from the expression on her face, the jumble of emotions roaring through Sophia's mind. Her history, both alone and with the man kneeling in front of her. What came before, and what she'd been promised, would come after. How she'd gotten to this point, aboard a listless ship, taking orders from a man who had, apparently, convinced her that she would be spared in the world of chaos they were dredging up from the depths. What are you waiting for? Donnie screamed. Shoot him! I can't... Sophia began and then shut her eyes. Chad thought, this is it. He readied himself for the blast and flash, but none came. Instead, Sophia softened, her rigid arms relaxing, but they were still directed at her husband. God, I knew it. You're just, you're worthless, Donnie said and grabbed for the gun. Give me the... Sophia squeezed the trigger. In an instant, she was rocked back on her heels while the slug took off two of Donnie's fingers and half of his right hand. The bullet continued on its path, sinking into Lazy's chest and spinning him. The man fell face first, while Donnie Fredericks hopped back, clutching at his incomplete palm, howling. Laszlo wasn't moving. Before what came next, Chad Stafford had enough time to think about the intricacies of what was playing out before him. Sophia had been married to Lazy for a number of years, and had to be made of such strong cloth to put up with a man like that. But then again, she'd been carrying on an affair with that blonde nightmare, so on both sides, Chad thought her judgment of character was, at very least, questionable. Still, she just made her choice clear, with a single bullet ripping through both men. 
Then, Chad's final thought. If she could shoot the two men with whom she was most intimate aboard the Baroness, what would stop her from turning it on the two employees and then Chad himself? Take everyone out in a hail of lead and ensure her own survival. Chad gripped the end of the rope with his free hand, then let go with the other. The stone statue rolling off like a yo-yo, and then he charged. Seeing this, Sophia raised the handgun once more, and Chad waited for the report, and the feel of the slug boring a hole into his own chest. But when the gunshot rang, it wasn't followed by a thudding in his ribcage, but by the sizzle whoosh as the bullet just missed his ear. Donnie had thrown himself onto Sophia, his weight pinning her to the deck. The pistol skittered out of everyone's reach. The cruise director, and high priest of some insane religious fancy, lost himself in rage, choking Sophia with the forearm and elbow of his nearly useless arm, while pummeling her face with the still-intact fist. And Chad was faced with the decision. Attack Donnie and try to save the woman who just tried to kill him. Or go for the gun and try for the upper hand. Apparently, the two Celebration Vacation henchmen had made their choice and were rushing across the deck to join the fray. He had to make the choice, fast, and was about to go for the gun when a third option, like it always seemed to do in his life, presented itself. Chad still held the rope in his hands, and with it, control over the idol suspended somewhere under the waves. Everyone stop! Chad shouted, and like some sort of great cosmic joke, they did. The men quit running. Donnie quit hammering Sophia's face. Even the rain had trickled to a halt and for a moment the only sound was droplets falling from the wood and glass and metal of the ship, and from the bodies of those littering the bow. The sun was high enough now that its rays made the dirt and blood and horror on everyone glow. And for what? Chad thought. Aloud, he said, That's enough! Get off of her or I let go of the rope. Donnie stayed fixed on Sophia's mangled face, and yowled, an anguished groan that cut through everyone watching him. When he spoke, he wasn't addressing anyone on the Lido deck. What more do I have to do? Why won't you just rise? Who are you talking to, Donnie? Chad said. I said get off of her or I drop it. When Donnie, still straddling the unmoving Sophia, faced him, the man's mask had shattered. The faux smile had vanished. His hair was wild, matted, like he'd been drug around by it. The normal, calculating eyes, the sort that seemed to always be filing stimulus and threat away for analysis, had been hollowed out. He wasn't staring at Chad, but through him. Slowly, like a man trying his hardest to regain some level of composure, Donnie got to his feet. He stood still, his back foot digging in, as if preparing to launch himself again. He said, If you were going to, you would have done so by now. I think... You've held on to it long enough. You might be hearing the call. His call. Chad, for his part, was scrambling for a way out. A way to resolve this. Ideally, it would end with Donnie's bloody, bullet-riddled corpse, his followers being led off the ship in handcuffs, and Chad, Teresa, and the rest of Table 9 fending off reporters as they left the hospital. Even Lazy. Yeah, Chad wanted Lazy to be there too though the man still lay lifeless between he and Donnie. But how? How am I going to get there? Well, there's always another option. I can cash in my last chip. To Donnie, Chad said, All I'm hearing is your horrible voice. That's all I've heard for days. 
Maybe this will shut you up. Donnie's wide, unbelieving eyes watched Chad open his fingers. The tail of the rope stalled and then began slithering toward the railing. The other employees were in motion then, rushing to catch the rope, but were a yard away when it licked out of sight. As if he hadn't been baffled enough during this Love on the Waves cruise, the two men didn't stop at the railing and gazed longingly at the spreading ripples of the rope and statue below, but leapt over after it. No hesitation, just gripped the rail and launched themselves into the icy waters. Chad didn't have time to process the connotation, as Donnie was now grabbing at him with one and a half hands. The man was shouting, screaming incoherently, just chortling rage. Spittle covered Chad's face. Donnie's damaged hands were clutching at his shirt, then up to his neck as if the man's brain couldn't settle on what he wanted to do, and Chad seemed to be watching this from the outside, floored by the absurdity of a man brimming with so much anger that he was rendered useless, a babbling, broken child slapping impotently at Chad's face and chest. Then, his disjointed chatter solidified into a single deafening shriek. Chad's ears rung with another man's pain and he stood frozen as Donnie collapsed. For an instant, Chad couldn't understand what had happened, and searched through the spreading, watery pool of blood. Donnie Fredericks, still screaming, was a tangle of limbs, both of his working and mangled hands clutching at his ankles, and the wide open mouths where his Achilles tendons used to be connected. The knife that had been used to sever them was only a foot away, clasped tight in Lazy's hand. Okay, Lazy isn't dead, Chad thought though the gaping hole in the man's chest might have suggested otherwise. Chad watched Laszlo summon what appeared to be the last of his strength and began to crawl over Donnie's writhing body, stabbing as he went. One deep plunge to the thigh, three to the groin and stomach each. Lazy bypassed the heart and slashed at Donnie's clutching arms, severing nerves and tendons that would allow him to defend himself. Lazy has you now, the man croaked, and paused, straddling Donnie's chest. If the cruise director responded, it was lost in his choking cries. When Lazy began carving the blonde man's face, Chad had to look away. He limped over to the railing and watched the spot where the idol and the two employees had disappeared in search of their god. Chad kept his back turned until Donnie's screaming slowed, then stopped forever. You know something, Iceman? I'm supposed to have words here. Lazy lay between Donnie and Sophia, less than an arm's length from each and there was enough blood washed on and around them that all three could be mistaken for corpses. From the look of him, Lazy wasn't far away. With that understanding, Chad felt a little tug in his heart. He wasn't sure how to approach this, how to help a man with his last words, so he stepped over and knelt beside him. What do you want to say, Lazy? Is there something you want to get off your mind? No, I don't need confession. I need cool wine. Like... When you kill villain, you say, crowd makes cheer. I see enough movies to know this. Despite everything, Chad found himself chuckling. <laughs> you lost your shoes. You did. You trying to be John McClane? Before Lazy could respond, two more employees ran in, and upon seeing what was left of their priest, slowed to a halt. They studied the scene, and Chad wondered whether he should lunge for the pistol. But there was no need. When recognition came over them, the men deflated. They said nothing, as if the unmoving body of their leader, the whole reason for any of this, was enough. There was no god, no watery savior. If there was, why would the man who was leading them to the resurrection be nearly disassembled on the ship's Lido deck? They went back the same way they'd come. 
You're right, Iceman. This is Die Hard on ship. We use radios. We beat terrorists. You beat them, Lazy. The man thought about this, began to argue, then stopped. Instead, he smacked the body next to him. I got it! Donnie, I sunk your battleship! Smiling, Chad said. Needs some work. That might have been used before. I was never good with words. Better with my hands. I can see that. You come up with something good for me. Something cool, okay? Tell everyone. As Chad realized that Lazy was implying that he wouldn't be able to tell anyone himself, he nodded. You got it. You are not all ice in there. Lazy touched Chad's chest. No way. I am glad to have a friend like you. Same, Chad said, and squeezed Lazy's hand one last time. Go to your wife now, Iceman, and I go to mine. Chad watched Lazy wince as he rolled over and draped an arm over her. He whispered to her, though the woman wasn't speaking. Sophia wasn't coughing or gurgling. She wasn't doing anything. Sophia was gone, and as Lazy came to rest next to her, Chad could see that his new friend was gone, too. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Ghost Modernist. We are getting dangerously close to the end of this season. Be sure to follow me on Instagram at The Ghost Modernist for updates about Season 2, hints about Season 3, and of course, dog photos. If you haven't yet, please head over to Apple Podcasts and write something, just a few words, and help get the show into more people's earbuds. The theme music for today's episode of The Ghost Modernist was provided by Atrium Carcheri. As always, remember... There are two types of people in this world, the haunters and the haunted. Which one are you?